now, from beyond our dimension, this is the Jeff Mara Podcast. Here's Jeff. My guest is Shauna Ristic. Shauna had a near-death experience, and during it, she met with a council of light beings, and today we're going to learn about it. Shauna, thank you so much for being my guest, and welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Shauna, my audience loves to hear about near-death experiences, so if you don't mind, can we start with yours? Well, I was 19, and I was heading to the airport. Um, I was going to be going to Minnesota to a Chiefs football game, and I'd never gone to a football game before, and I was kind of excited about that. It was Christmas Day of 1993, and I was, I had woke up the morning of Christmas and had this celebration with my family. Um, I had recently just moved back home to try to get my life back in order. And uh, so I was living with my parents and my brother and parents and myself all woke up and had our little Christmas morning. And then my parents, my brother left to go to my family's in another town, my distant family. And I went upstairs to take a nap. And then when I woke up from the nap, I realized I was running late and I hurried out and Jumped in the car and drove through town. And I was living in a small town in Kansas at that point. And got up on the highway and I thought, okay, you know, I've got this hour drive to Kansas City and I need to call this person and let him know that I'm on my way, but I'm running a little bit late. So I was running late and I packed my bags really quickly and I threw everything in my car and I jumped in the car and zoomed through town. And uh, I was living in this small Kansas town at the point at that point and um, got up on the highway. And I remember I needed to call this friend. I thought, you know, I'm going to be on time, but it's going to be really close. I should probably call him and let him know I'm on my way. And um, at this point, it was back pre-pocket cell phones when the first phones came out and they were those bag phones that plugged into your cigarette lighter. And I had one and it was in the passenger floorboard of my car, which was this big kind of boxy Dodge Colt Vista. And I remember that I looked down at the speedometer and I was going like 75 and I think the speed limit was 65 at the time. And I took off my seatbelt. Um, at that point, seatbelts weren't mandatory, but I had been feeling like I should start wearing one for like about two weeks prior to this. And I took off the seatbelt and I thought, okay, let me, let me go past this car I'm passing and over this bridge. And then I'll pick up the phone and I'll give him a call. So I just about got past the car and I was over the bridge and I took off the seatbelt and I bend over in the passenger floorboard and picked up the phone. And as I came up, I was coming close to hitting the car that I was passing and I swerved to miss and my car then fishtailed and then nosedived into the median. And then I flipped end over end across the median, then across the other two lanes of traffic on the highway. And they found me about 40 feet from the car face down turning blue. And, um, the amazing thing, I think miracles happen every day and the car behind me was a nurse and the next car from the other direction was also a nurse. And uh, they basically were there on site that sort of held my airway open. I don't remember any of this um, and until the, the paramedics came and they took me back to my hometown where I had come from had left from and there was because there was a doctor there who was only there I think twice a month and she happened to be there that day she was a trauma doctor and otherwise they would have taken me the extra 20 or 30 minutes to Kansas City and said I probably wouldn't have made it and then they life flighted me from 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 that town to Kansas City and I spent um, a month in a coma there and then got transferred over to a neurological hospital and um spent about a month there. Uh, they told me it would be four to six months to rehab in the neurological hospital and I'd still be handicapped and I'd probably never live on my own again. And, and I got out in four weeks. And so that's kind of the concrete stuff that happened. And for years, that's all I could talk about because I noticed there's this thing that happened when I talked about the other stuff that people kind of glazed over and they just couldn't really take it in. So for about 20 years, that's, you know, the story of the miraculous healing that I had was what I mostly talked about. But um, what, what really happened, what I remember is I remember opening my eyes, you know, I, well, I remember the fishtailing and swerving to miss. And then I think that 
at that point, my face probably slammed into the steering wheel. I did break my chin off and I had a bunch of ribs, six ribs broken and lungs punctured and head injuries and all sorts of other trauma to the body. Um, so I probably went unconscious at that point. But what I remember is opening my eyes in this bright white light, bright white lit room. And there were these six beings. They were very tall, very bright, like like light glowed from them. Um, they had kind of human form or shape, but they were light beings is the words I use for them because they just sort of glowed. And they stuck their hands underneath me and they lifted me up. And I realized I was up out of my body and it was so liberating and it felt so good to be free from all the constrictions and the heaviness that comes with being in body. And um, I remember standing in this room with these beings and they were, they, they showed me what I had come to do and what I'd done up to this point and what would be possible from that point on. And I sure wish I remember everything I came to do that make things easier. Um, and then they showed me, but I don't, and, and I did understand though that, that I was here to, to help further this, this mission of this group of beings, I think we call it the, the mission of spreading love. And I understood, especially when I got, when I woke up from the coma, that I was here to help people find their way home back to this truth of who they are, this loving space that this, this vibration of love holds everything. Um, they, they explained to me how it's kind of like looking out of an airplane at the city at night where there's all these lights around you, kind of like behind you, you see all these city lights and that that's like each of us. And that, and that when one light goes out, it's like there's a power surge and the whole city is affected or many people from miles away might be affected when one person's light goes out. And that, that would happen if my light came out, went out, if I chose not to come back, you know, I felt like I had that choice. And, um, they showed me how it would affect people in my life, like my brother, like his relationship with women. And if he'd ever get married or have a relationship with a woman after this. And I remember also looking from the corner of my hospital room down at my body and seeing my mom sitting there, you know, hold, holding my hand and sort of praying. And I thought, you know, my God, what did I do? I had no idea that, that this could cause so much of a ripple amongst all the people one person leaving insignificant me and um and then they the last thing i remember is sitting in a circle of them there were actually 12 of them and um i've come to call them my council and they were all debating whether i was going to go or stay and i remember it felt like at the time i didn't really have a choice that i was just sort of sitting there waiting for the decision to be made and it was sort of like she going to come back? And I kind of felt like I was representing the energies of this council here. And was I going to come back or were they going to send someone else to maybe like a walk-in or were we just going to scrap the whole project? And, um, and then I guess they decided that I was coming back and I was probably on board with that. Um, and then the next memories I have are, you know, coming, coming out of a coma isn't exactly like the movies where you're just like, hi, I'm back, what I miss? You know, um, I remember one time waking up and opening my eyes and there was a friend that was, they only let like one or two people in like two or three times a day in ICU. And he was sitting there, um, he was sleeping. And I remember it was dark in the room and I opened my eyes and I saw him and I was looking at him. I was trying to will him to wake up and he woke up and he said, Sean, wake. And I tried to mumble, you know, in the accident, I had, I broke my chin off. So I had a lot of reconstruction in my face and I had metal plates in my jaw. And um, so I couldn't speak and I just kind of mumbled something and he understood. I wanted to know what had happened. And he started to tell me, and I honestly don't remember what he said, but I remember the feeling in the room. And I remember realizing that this loving presence, this vibrational space of love that I had felt with this council and on the other side, that it existed here too. 
that it's like this pregnant potentiality. It's like the fabric behind everything. And I could feel it in the room and I could just feel this presence of what I call the truth, that this loving presence is the truth. And it's, it's like the fabric behind it all. And it's so, it's like a fish in water. We don't see it because we're always in it. And, and I remember looking at him and I remember seeing in his eyes that light, just like those light beams, the light shining through. And I thought, wow. And we are that too. We are those light beings. We are those beings of light. And that shines in each of us. And for a long time after the coma, I could, when I got back into society, I could see that in people. And I can still see it when I shift my awareness, you know, now I've been out for 20 something years and, you know, everyday stuff makes the mind go do its own projections. But I remember seeing that light in him and realizing that what's over there is here too. And that that separation between the sides is an illusion that it's only a shift of consciousness. And when I came out of the coma um, and started really coming back. So after that, after I saw him, I tried to hold it as long as I could, but you know, my body was, was weak and, and it was hard to really hold that consciousness. So I, after a while, I just couldn't keep it awake anymore. And I fell back into this sort of vast space on the other side. And, and then coming back, the, the next memory I have is, is coming out of um, PT one day. They, they would do this thing where they would strap me into a, a wheelchair. And I think I really hated it because I was so stiff. I felt like I would slide right out when I was in body. I mean, I wasn't in body a lot of that time. But at some point I was coming back from that. And I remember looking in the wheel. It was in the wheelchair. And I remember reeling down a hall and I remember seeing someone coming towards me and I remember thinking, wow, that person's really messed up. What happened to them? Holy cow. And as they came closer and closer, I realized it was a mirror. And I thought, wow, what have I done? What have I done? And then I jumped right out of body at that point. Um, and so those are the two memories I have of the intensive care area. And then they transferred me to the neurological hospital in Gardner, Kansas. And um, that's when I started really waking up from that point on. And things came back pretty quickly, fortunately. Um, but when I came back, I knew I was here to help people heal and find their way back to that truth. Whatever that be for them, whatever path it takes them to get there, I need to do that. And I wasn't sure how to do that. Um, and then what happened was after I got out of the hospital, you know, I said it was four weeks when they projected four to six months. Um, I was pretty proud of that. And I still had some surgeries, ankle surgeries to do and some facial surgeries still, dental stuff. Um, but remarkably against the odds of what the doctors had predicted. And so that was in February of, um, gosh, link on the year. Uh, February of 90 of 94. <laughs> and um, it's been so long ago. Uh, and so I got out of the hospital and by that fall, I was living on my own again, unlike what was predicted could be possible, and going back to college and driving. <laughs> and um, I went through, you know, I was going through a community college and I was doing all these things and I knew I was here to help people and I wasn't sure how and I kind of started down the path of nursing, but I found that that wasn't really my people. It wasn't really, you know, where I was supposed to be. And, um, and then I kind of went into this big depression I got really frustrated with really, I got, I felt, okay, so coming out of that, and I think you maybe have other NDEers have experienced this process too, is that you're totally blasted open. You know, I felt everything times 10. Maybe you've had a spiritual experience where you go and you have a big awakening and a big opening where you're like, whoa, and you sort of understand things. And, and then like three days later, the contraction happens and then you kind of, oh, I'm back in reality again. And, you know, times 100, you know, I felt everything so much more intensely. And I really struggled with the suffering in the world and the things that people do to each other and the hard things they do to each other because they just don't see that it's really about this love and we're here together and they don't get it. And we hurt each other all the time. I mean, who thought war was a good idea, right? And I was really struggling with how to cope with that, that heaviness of the suffering here. 
And I started journaling and I just would just write, you know, all this just pouring out of me. And what I noticed is that after a while, I kind of go into this sort of just automatic writing trance-like state and something started responding. And that's when I started working with the council while I'm awake on this side. And they started answering my questions and sort of giving me guidance. And they became some of my biggest supporters in this. And shortly after that, I, through a bunch of serendipitous events, found my way to massage school. And as soon as I walked in there, I knew this is it. This is where I'm supposed to be. And I graduated with massage school in a couple of years after that and began my practice, moved, moved from Kansas City back to Lawrence, Kansas. And I put myself in college in to work on my bachelor's at that point, I'd taken a break to do massage school, mostly because I wanted to prove doctors wrong, that I could do it. And I uh, got in the honors program, <laughs> not bad for a head injury person. And, um, and started going to college, but I started my practice as a massage therapist. And what I noticed was that a lot of times with clients, just like information came. I just could see past their ego and their restrictions and could see what was stuck or see maybe the experience that they hadn't digested that needed to be digested. Sometimes loved ones would show up in the room and I'd be like, you know, and I'd hear these voices, ask them about so-and-so or tell them this. And I'm like, I can't do that. They're going to think I'm crazy. Um, And eventually it would just be so persistent that it would just kind of come out. And, um, and there were some amazing healings that would happen for people. And, so over time I did that. And then, then there was a period of time where I spent four years living in France and did my master's degree degree there again to prove doctors wrong. <laughs> and uh, my master's is in communication, uh, all in French, um, which has been interesting how that's played out in my career since then, you know, just it's given me an enormous amount of information and in helping people and understanding their communication styles. And, um, in 2015, the, you know, I had always felt like I had come back to work with larger audiences and touched more lives than just individually in my office. So, you know, after the four years of living in France in 2003, I came back to Lawrence because that's where my family was. That's where my clients were. And it just made sense. Started my practice again, just little me working one-on-one in this office. And I thought, gosh, you know, I thought we came back to do more than this. What gives? And then in 20, um, during that time, I had my my son and I met my husband, well, met my husband and got married and had my son, you know, in that order. Um, and then in 2015, he had been working with, uh, he's a philosophy professor and he had been seeking awakening as well. And he'd been working with different teachers and his main root teacher was uh, Mokchananda, who's a guy in Santa Cruz he had met. And Spirit told me, I came home one day and said, hey, Spirit told me it's time for me to meet Moki. I, you know, my husband had been traveling on retreats and working and doing those things at a, at a distance and traveling, and I had been staying home with the baby. And I said, it's time. I don't know when it's supposed to happen, but, you know, when, when it happens, it's the right time. And uh, so in 2015, we came out to California to Santa Cruz, and I met Moki. And the first time we met, he organized this big dinner with like seven people. And I was like, wow, that's not as intimate, as important you are for my husband. I kind of expected something more one-on-one, but you know, okay. And my husband's like, well, he doesn't do anything for nothing. Let's just go with it. So we did great dinner, met lots of interesting people. And then the next night we happened to be downtown Santa Cruz at a bookstore. And, you know, sometimes when you go to bookstores, it's hard to get out of it. We had some friends with us. We were, we'd try to leave and then you know, we couldn't find everybody and then we go find them and then we can't find someone else. Finally, we roll out of the bookstore and it just happens at the time we rolled out of the bookstore, next door is a restaurant and there happens to be one person standing outside waiting for a table who happens to be the guy we met at the dinner the night before. And he comes over and I'm like, oh, you know, this is really about my husband and his spiritual teacher and his experience. It's not really about me. But the first words out of his mouth to my husband was, do you know anything about the near-death experience? Mm. And at that point, I really hadn't talked much about it. People knew something had happened and they knew that that impacted my business and that that was where a lot of my healing work came from. But, you know, like I said, people glazed over when I talked about the the woo-woo part. They couldn't digest it. And so um, I hadn't really talked to anybody until this person was interested and I told him about it. And it was the first time I felt really received totally about telling the story. And 
this person had this whole idea about a new movement of opening up towards NDE, that it was time for NDE to come mainstream. And that he had an idea to, he wanted to start a television series around it and start a movement. It felt like Santa Cruz was a place for that movement to happen. And would we be interested in participating? Of course. I was like, wow, it's the first time I've been received. And oh my God, this whole thing is opening. So over, you know, a year's time, we put together a symposiums that we were going to do every, every month or every quarter in Santa Cruz. And we got hooked up with Raymond Moody uh, and his wife, Cheryl, and uh, they were on board to work on this project and we were all going to make it happen. And we were all planning to move to Santa Cruz. Um, and we ended up getting a class that Raymond and my husband co-taught at UCSC on the near-death experience. And so when that happened, we were like, well, I guess we're moving. I mean, do we just send my husband or do we all go? And so summer of 2015, I loaded up my husband and my child and my cat. And we all road tripped from Kansas to California and to the Wild West. And um, and we've been here ever since. You know, the unfortunately, the project ended up folding a few months after we were here. Uh, we lost our funding. The, the idea man kind of changed his mind on what he wanted to focus on. And the Moody's weren't able to make the transition to Santa Cruz. So I think Spirit had the idea that we needed to be here. It just wasn't with that project. And um, it was pretty intense for a while. Um, Santa Cruz is, is uh, the cost of living is, is remarkably different than Kansas. And, uh, you know, like three or four times difference. And so I... And, you know, after the UCSC um, project, uh, the class finished, but there wasn't any continuation. So my husband wasn't going to be employed. And so I began working really hard and uh, to get my practice going. And spirit, the grace of spirit, man, it's really there. And uh, some divine order happened. Um, I met a woman who who was a hairstylist and who had a lot of clients who came in with pain and she sent them to me and my business created itself within you know, a few months. And I've been working ever since. I have an office now in Silicon Valley in Los Gatos where I meet with clients twice or twice a week. And I have an office in Santa Cruz where I meet privately with clients. And, and then, you know, Raymond introduced me to IANS, the International Association of Near-Death Studies. And I began doing speakings with them in Saratoga um, and in Berkeley and in Marin. And I think I've also spoken in Phoenix with the group down there in Arizona. It's a fabulous group and um, became a consultant with the, the board for a while. And this whole world of NDE opened up to me. And so I've been speaking about it since and just you know, still working individually one-on-one with people, helping them to move past their own blockages and holding space for them to discover their truth of who they really are and hoping that I can get them to see that their real truth, you know, that light that they are. That's what I've been doing. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Do you consider your counsel angels or do you consider them your soul group or some type of ascended masters? A little bit of all of that. I, I have never felt like they belong to one group. They're a little bit of a mix of others. Um, you know, I've had a real connection with angels and and I didn't see wings on them, but, you know, angels come in that form because it's what we can take in and understand, right? Um, there was a one time when I was in massage school, after I, towards the end of my massage school training, I, I met a woman who worked with angels. And she did angel readings. Someone had told me about her and I was like, something told me, you need to book an appointment. I'd never heard of any of that. You know, I grew up the daughter of engineers and IT people and very, you know, science minded people. So all this other stuff that I now was experiencing, you know, on a daily basis was, was not a confirmed experience by most people around me. So, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to go check this angel lady out. And I remember when I went there, she said, as soon as she met me, she said, well, I was checking in about who you are when you're coming. And all they tell me is an old friend returned and that I've been looking for an apprentice. And so would you like to be my apprentice? So I apprenticed under her for about a year or two. And she really opened my mind a lot. And she felt that she is an angel incarnate and here to uh, help people and also to reunite um, a group of angels that were also part of that. And there was um, 
don't know if you've ever had this experience where sometimes it feels like spirits kind of knocking on the door going, I got something to tell you. Hello, you need to sit down and listen. And when that happened to me back then, especially, and, and still sometimes, I, I tend to be like, oh, I can't hear you. La, la, la. <laughs> I got other things going on. I'm too busy. And that was happening. And finally, at some point, I sat down on the floor and I was like, okay, I'm listening. When is it? And, you know, then I'm all in my forehead thinking, you know, trying to push into it. And that never is successful with meditation. <laughs> and so I'm sitting and sitting, finally get frustrated. And I just fall back on my back. And I'm like, I don't know. What is it? And then this wave of and understanding and these tears came and I understood that I was a part of that group that I was that group part of what the group she was pulling together as well I I feel like it's a little bit hard for me to say oh yes I'm an angel incarnate as well um if he just feels pretty lofty to be a human claiming that um but that's the information that came through was that I was representing part of that group as well and I called her immediately it's like I need to talk to you about this before my mind cancels this out convinces me I'm I'm just imagining stuff you know is this true and and she confirmed it checked with her guide so you know I've never that's something I haven't really talked much about because I haven't really ever known what to do with much of it um but that's part of the story right and and so I think that part of them are angels there's um, a second time that I had an experience where I had been getting a lot of clients coming to me asking about UFOs and aliens and usually there's trends in my office the same people come through with same experiences at the same time and usually it also has messages for me and I was like what is this so I went to my hypnotherapist and I was like okay there's all this UFO alien information wanting to be sought for me. And I'm feeling a little, you know, it's triggering my, my, you know, engineering background sort of upbringing to feeling like I can't talk about this or not knowing what to tell them. We do a session on this. And in the session, he took me to a place. I think he called it the house of healing. But what I saw was this amazing temple and it had this diamond, um, antenna up and I understood that diamonds are semiconductors I hadn't known before and that they're you know that's some of the reasons why diamonds have become so sought after on this planet because originally they were these semiconductors that could help us to align with these more universal uh, energies and that he said well you know is there a door and there was and so the door opened and these little beings like stuck their fingers around and they were like oh my god you're not supposed to and I understood this was sort of like a docking station. Um, and, and, you know, before people come into the earth and I was like, he said, well, ask him your question. And I said, you know, I said, well, where am I from? And, and then I thought, wait, wait, no, no, I want to know who I am. And they were like, well, we're going with your first question. And then in my experience, I blasted up through space, up through the room, up through the house, and bigger and bigger and into the universe. And I'm flying in this black space with stars and black holes. And I come up to this black hole area and I, I think it was like a wormhole. I just kind of sucked through to the other side and that happened twice. And I'm just like, whoa, what is all this? I mean, you know, beyond what my conscious mind could create. And, and I come to this planet and it's I'm above it, hovering above it. And it's white and this white hazy lights coming up from it. And this voice comes up and it's just like in front of me and it's, this presence and it starts talking to me and explaining to me these things. And, and I, 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 again, I can't remember all the things consciously it said. What I do remember is noticing, I know you, I know you, you are the voice I heard in the coma. I know you. And I thought, wow. And I thought, well, can I go onto this planet? You know, can I go there? And at that point, as soon as I tried to will myself into it, I started falling back and I just sucked back through the wormholes and back and back. But as I was falling back to, you know, this place, what I remember also noticing is I know this feeling too. This is that same feeling I had in the coma, that falling back and kind of sucking through time and all this dimension or whatever that space was. And then I'm back in the room and I'm hovering above my body and then I'm back in body and I'm like, wow. So, you know, that's kind of the pieces I've put together. Um, I had a period of time where I was questioning them and I was like, where are you? Give me a name. And names are funny because they're vibrations that people have that, that, that beings resonate with 
So it's sort of like a sound vibration. You know, we have our name and actually names are what I use when I work distance wise with people. They, they've taught me that, that names are these sound frequencies that we resonate with as our vibration. And so you can use a name, tap into the vibration of a person and see what's happening for them and what's coming up for them. And that when I work distance with people, that's what I do. And then have a lot of information for them when they, when we, when I get on the call with them. Um, and, and so that's when I've asked them their names and I, and this was probably 10 years ago that I went through that period. And so I don't remember a lot of it. Um, uh, it's written down in books that are put away right now. Um, but I went through a period where I was questioning them and, you know, they were just, they've always been sort of like, don't go into your mind with all this, just be with it. And we'll help guide you. And you're doing what you need to do. And we're going to, you know, find a way and the whole purpose at least for me, and I think for all of us, is to find our way back home, that we've all sort of come to this place here, and many of us have gotten stuck, and we've forgotten who we are, we're kind of lost, and so I feel my, my purpose is to help people as little much as I can on their way back to their journey. And so, to answer your question, that's kind of, in a nutshell, what I've learned about them over the years. How do you communicate them? Is it usually when you're writing and you just kind of get instant information and it's almost like you don't even have to think about writing or are there other ways? Well, not thinking about writing is a good tip <laughs> because what I've, you know, others have asked me like, how do you do what you do? And um, I had a, a person, which I can tell you the story if you want to hear it later, but um, where his mother was nearly comatose and he had called me in to talk to her and I could hear her and I was communicating with her. And then he, um, and we had these major healing in that session with their family. And um, he had asked me, how do I do what I do? And so I really, that's what my workshops became. It was really sort of putting together all that. So the idea is that really when we're thinking, if I say, you know, think about a cup, you know, it's, it happens here in your forehead where that thought process happens with a cup up here in front of you. And so that's all this sort of pushing frontal brain, sort of forehead thinking stuff. But when you're in receptive mind, not active mind, but receptive mind, it happens back here, sort of behind the ears. And I used to notice that when they were communicating with me, I'd almost feel a buzz back here. So I've noticed that this is sort of the part of the brain that ignites. And an interesting little anecdote, um, when I was at the library with my son and Spirit was like, we got, you got to go downstairs and find this book. And I'm like, really? Okay. So I go down, I'm wandering the stacks and they kind of stop me. And I ended up finding this book by Kenneth Green called The Omega Project, which ends up being this book about the connection between NDEs and UFOs and alien abductions. Um, and one thing about that is they found that if they stimulate the temporal lobes of the brain that they can actually create uh, out-of-body experiences. So that was kind of a confirmation that this is the part of the brain that actually ignites. So, so to answer your question, usually I sort of fall back into this part, try to get out of the thinking mind, out of the sort of trying to push for information and move more into that receptive space. And then, you know, dropping into the breath. Um, it's a lot of practice over the years fine-tuning this you know and initially it was when I kind of just start writing and then I go into that space through writing you know just kind of a, a, a cognitive dump and and through the words and and then over time I've learned how to drop into that space that receptive space without having to do it through writing so it's that falling back space it's um and then it's it's really about getting to know yourself it's, it's really knowing what's my energy, what's my frequency, so that I don't confuse it with something else. How do I know what's me and what's not me? I mean, ultimately, it's all oneness anyway, but that's way down on the spectrum or way up on the spectrum or wherever you want to put it. Um, so it was a lot of just noticing here I am, especially when I work with people, it's the same way. You know, here's my vibration. So I know, okay, so what's coming up for me? Here's maybe some of the issues going on. Okay, so I can put all that aside and drop into here and then be present for what's arriving. And so now I hear, and, and, and I'm sorry, mostly for me it happens auditorily. I hear it. I don't usually see them that much. I usually hear it. Do you have any other abilities after you're an NDE besides hearing things? Or I guess you also, you hear voices like when you would hear family members. So it's all kind of like, audience. Yeah, there's that. But I, I would say my primary sense is more clairsentience. Um, you know, my work is primarily done 
has been has primarily done except for these last few years when I started working distance wise. But you know, the first 15 years of my practice was done in, you know, on body. And so a lot of times that information would come and I'd hear it, but a lot of times I'd know also physically where to go or I sense it. You know, when I'm working with people that distance, sometimes I'll know, like I'll, I'll do work with their chakras or work with their clearing their energy. And I can feel it in my body where the restriction is in them because I'm 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 a hollow tube at that point, right? I've put myself aside, so I sort of allow myself to feel there. So it's more of a clairsentience as well. Um, you know, as a child, I saw a lot of things. I thought our house was haunted and maybe it was, or maybe it was just my, because I could see, I don't know. Um, but I got afraid of it. And um, when, when it was sort of told me that it was just my imagination. And so I was either imagining it or I wasn't safe and I got really scared and I shut all that down. Um, so it's still hard for me to open up the visual part. Sometimes it happens. There have been some pretty amazing times that happened. One time was in a coffee shop. Coffee shops are really great places for seeing energy because mm. um, there's a lot of energy exchange that happens in coffee shops. A lot of thoughts and, you know, intense emotions happen in coffee shops. And I remember sitting there and I was... I sort of was in that relaxed space with my husband and I, all of a sudden I just started seeing these fuzzy little white blobs all over the place. And my husband's like, what's going on? Are you seeing energy? And I'm like, I guess so. And, and I could see how it was almost like we leave an energetic imprint on the space time, you know, of a certain location and a certain space, you know, and, and I, that makes sense where, you know, like Gettysburg and all the ghosts that people see there or, or haunted houses or, you know, all these imprints, these were just sort of imprints left on the space. You know, there's other of those experiences that are maybe souls that are still haven't realized they've transitioned and all that can happen as well. But this is where I learned about imprints being left just on the space. After waking up from your coma, at what point did you start remembering your NDE? Was it immediately or was it, you know, like a, a couple of weeks later or? So... When I first woke up, what I remembered was the circle of beings debating whether I should go or stay. Um, and I remember telling that to someone and they said, oh, that was probably on the TV and you just took that into your, you know, your dreamland. And that was such a shock for me because it was so unarguably real. I mean, these experiences that I've had, um, these spiritual experiences go beyond this reality. They are more real than real. And I'm sure you've heard that before. Um, and so I really shut down around it after that. I didn't talk about it. I just kind of held it in because I didn't feel like it was going to be received. And I didn't want, I didn't want, I didn't want to have to argue what I had experienced. I didn't want to doubt it, you know, any more than that. So I remembered that. And I remembered understanding that I was here to help people heal. And I had to figure out how to do that. Um, and then over time, a lot of it's come back. Um, nothing was more important to me from that point on than understanding what was that and how do I get, hmm. you know, and I traveled the world, you know, all the way to France, to try to find that home, you know, before I realized it's always with us anyway. <laughs> and, um, so my life became understanding that and finding ways to go back to remembering. And like I said, that hypnotherapy session and remembering even you know that happened just a few years ago just to this day like oh yeah there's that I remember that you know and and so there's things that happen over time but it's been this journey with this council and this journey of of remembering and sort of piecing it all together yet you know at this point in my life feeling like the story is the story and it's okay and there's more to it than just the story you know so it's come back over time, and it was a lot of it right at the beginning of it. What do you do in your personal practice? And what I mean is, are you still doing massage, or people come to you for energy work, or what? Um, a little bit of both. I um, What I do is meet people where they're at. And because my foundation is in massage and body work, and I did a lot of collaborating with rolfers and chiropractors and a lot of extra training and all that stuff and really work to know anatomy. And, you know, so I have a good foundation in all the body stuff um, because that was really important to me in the first, especially first decade of my practice. Um, so a lot of people come to me just to fix their body. And, you know, 
because I'm intuitive and can kind of feel where the blockages are, you know, but I don't necessarily talk to them about that part because they're not at a space they can receive that. Um, but over time, you know, like in Kansas, more and more people came for the intuitive stuff and the information about blocked experiences or whatever that was, whatever came up for them, more people came for that, although I never hung a shingle about it, you know. And then when I came to California, people were like, well, you have to talk about that. People really want that here. And so then I've really developed more in that way since I'm moving to California where I do some most mostly people come to me in person will do work on the table and usually that will include some sort of physical body work and releasing sometimes it's just me laying on of hands and unwinding the energy um and then you know for people who are far away and can't come in person um i work over the phone with them or on zoom with them and it's me more tapping into their energy and seeing what's coming up for them uh I was led to a shamanic, some shamanic practices. And one of them that I have sort of adapted to what I do is the way I use to sort of formulate the energy, because the energy is vast. I mean, when you tap into what's coming up for a person, you know, there's so much information there. Like, how do you choose? So I, I bow to the east of what's coming up for this person. What are they bringing to me? And then the south is what's from the past or the ancestral lineage that may be contributing and or blocked past experiences. And then the West is what's the sun setting on? What are they moving towards or away from? And then the North is who's here to help. And I kind of bow to that for about 20 minutes before I call the person. And then when we, that gives me a framework of what we're going to be working on in the session and then whatever comes up for them. And then again, like I said, I'll also look energetically, just sort of using my body as sort of, or or holding an image of their body in my mind, seeing where it is, depending on what works best with this person, to figure out where the blockages are energetically and clear the energy. So if you come to me in person, sometimes it happens where we don't get on the table. Some people just like to talk and do it verbally, but usually there'll be some table time. And then over the phone, there's, it's impossible to do. <laughs> right. Do you believe in reincarnation? I do. I do. Um, I think that what's happened to many of us is that we came here originally with intention to whatever our intention was, whether it be to experience things or to, you know, further the progress of this planet or, you know, experience love, but also get to feel it physically, whatever our reasons for coming here. But there were so many of us, we got bogged down in the, in, in the contraction and in the suffering, and we forgot who we are, and that we keep on that cycle. You know, it's sort of you go through and try to make the progress you can in this life, and then you recycle through, you go into the afterlife, and when you hit a certain part of the bardos, you know, that you aren't able to to process through what you experienced in this life and others, you recycle through to, to learn what you need to learn, to re- to move through what you need to move through in order to move back to your truth. Hmm. And, you know, my goal has always been, you know, to not have to do it again. <laughs> to get done with it this time. But the further longer I'm here, the more I'm like, yeah, then there's that whole Bodhisattva thing, you know, you finally reach it and then you come back to help others. <laughs> yeah. Some you know? people believe that you don't have to come back. You, you can go on to other realms and do other things. We just- yeah, well, and I think that's all part of that cycle, right? Of your soul's growth and experience, right? I don't think you have to come back on Earth. There's probably other places that you could go to. And I think that we also have the choice to stay on the other side for a while. You know, I had a pretty clear feeling when I was younger, before this whole indie experience, that I hadn't been here for a while because I had a real hard time getting how these people were. <laughs> You know, and, and, uh, yeah, feel like the last time around was when I just didn't want to come back for a while after that one, you know. Some of my guests even see aliens or extraterrestrials or non-human intelligences. So, I mean, even that, I guess, if, if you want, instead of coming back to earth, you go to other planets. Yeah. Well, you know, my understanding in that hypnotherapy session was that that other planet with those people are where I'm really from. That was my question, you know, and these are light beings that exist on a higher frequency. And I don't mean that as a good or bad, but I mean, it's just a, you know, a higher vibration um, that that vibrates a little bit closer to this love frequency. Um, And, you know, but I also believe that, you know, that that's not the end of it for me that that's not where my soul originated from. That's a big part of it. 
you know, but there's, it's maybe even bigger than that. Do you hear voices even when you don't want to? So do you have to shut it down or you turn it on and off? Sometimes. I have gotten to the point where I am able to sort of tune myself. You know, I've done a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of meditation. <laughs> and and I've able to tune myself to, um, I've learned how to work with the frequency so that I don't pick up a lot of the heavier, denser frequencies. Earlier, you know, after the NDE, there were times where I would be very afraid because I pick up these more scarier vibrations. But I've, they've kind of helped me learn that it's where you put your attention, you know, and I don't have to put my attention there. Right. Um, I can put my attention in other places, um, you know, but interestingly enough, currently I'm, I'm having a real challenging experience with a client who is a highly traumatized individual who um, is very psychic, you know, but traumatized and, um, you know, from her whole life experiences and I'm trying to help her, but she's very, very, very needy. And, you know, it takes a lot of energy to be like, you can't come in right now. Um, and, and it's, it's been a new experience in realizing at what point I need to really guard my own boundaries, you know, and, and having to actually even move someone that I'm working with as a client away so that I can be present for this interview, for instance. Um, so, you know, it's, it's just more challenge of, of refining the skill. Right. And um, so sometimes I do hear other voices. I've, I've learned you know, also to ask, who are you? And I don't want to listen to you, so go away, you know? And I've learned how to work with those. Um, but it's always fascinating who comes through. I mean, especially, you know, I was working with a little guy who is, um, he's uh, cognitively challenged and um, developmentally challenged and he can't leave his house and, you know, he's on a rest or a breathing equipment most of the time. His mom was asking me to work with him. And this really, as I was sitting and meditating and kind of working with that frequency, because he was in the hospital and she wasn't sure what was going on. And we were trying to get him well enough to leave the hospital. And this kind of heavy sort of darker energy came in. And I would usually with those energies, I'm like, Hmm, I don't like to work with the hard, heavy stuff. I'd rather work with something a little light. light and, but um, it felt still a healing energy, and but it, it was denser and heavier and, than I was used to working with, but it didn't feel nefarious. And um, and I was like, who are you? And I hear Rasputin. I had no idea who Rasputin is. And um, we had this amazing experience together. For a long time, I walked with him for a while, and I was like, wow, you're really interesting. And then I learned that he was this amazing Russian healer that worked with the Tsar in Russia at a time period. Um, and that was really fascinating. There were other times where, where Jesus came in. That was pretty interesting. Um, and uh, that was during a session I was receiving kind of work on someone from my past who had come back in my life. And I was like, what is this all about? And went into a session wanting some clarity and ended up in a past life memory of my own. Um, and the person said, well, is there anybody here who can help? And and then Jesus came in and I was like, well, I don't know about you. You know, a lot of damage has been done in your name. <laughs> There's a lot of wars created and, you know, think about the Crusades. And and uh, he's like, you know, they got me all wrong. They don't got me at all. You know, he's like, just walk with me for a while. And I did for like three or four days. I just saw through his eyes and it is amazingly beautiful. And that's that love experience I was talking about. It's It's all there is. You know, it's what's really behind it all, all this silliness that we do of hurting each other and this vindiction and all this crazy stuff that we do to each other. It's so ridiculous. It's so doesn't matter, you know, even though it does in a way because we're all hurt and we have these emotions that we get to experience here, but it doesn't. It's not what it's about, you know. So I guess I get to be picky. I, I've learned to be picky about who I work with. <laughs> do you consider yourself a religious or a spiritual person? I consider myself spiritual. Um, I like all of the religions in their truest essence and what they came from, but I think they're all different definitions of the same thing. Um, it's like the the Cohen about the, the 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 blind carpenters and the elephant, and they all they all go and touch an elephant. And one person touches the tail and says, "Oh, it's an elephant. It's long and whip like." And another one says, "No, no, it's like a leather suitcase." And another one says, "No, it's like a snake." And touches the trunk, and it's all the elephant, right? Just different parts of it. Um, I tend to like Hinduism a lot because I like 
the deities that they work with, and, and those deities tend to come to me a lot. I like Chiba. He's been pretty radical lately um, and coming a lot in the last five years. I've been working a lot with Chiba. Um, uh, Kali has also been pretty present. She was projected on the Empire State Building, right, before uh, the elections last cycle or something. It was really right before COVID and all that. It was pretty crazy. Um uh, so I work a lot with the Hindu deities. I also like Buddhism. Um, you know, they have a good understanding of the oneness that's behind, you know, the no mind space where you can have and, and techniques for getting out of the this forward mind, the active mind. So I like their stuff too. Christianity is great. Um, I, I, in all of the religions, what, what, what I have a hard time with is just the, um, the dogma, just the idea that there's only one way and I realized there is only one way for you and it's your way, right? And whatever that way is, is the right way, right? And for me, that way has been going where if, if Jesus appears and, and working with him for a while and then working with Kuan Yin for a while and then, you know, opening up to just that no mind space. You know, the other day I had this amazing experience of this sort of seeing the mind, and not the mind imagining what it would be like to see the mind, but just being out of it, you know, and the no mind space and moving just into that truth of that emptiness, you know. So, and they, so they all have information and they all have tools. It's just really having the courage to follow what speaks to you. Can you tell us about the most miraculous or most impactful client that you have and the changes you've seen? Well, I think one of the really coolest ones I had recently, well, this was a few years ago, um, was this woman who I mentioned earlier, who was, she was not quite comatose, but she was not able to communicate. She kind of communicated with the sound. Um, and she was in a home, a retirement home that her family had placed her in. Her family was very loving. She had this beautiful life. She had a very loving family. But they weren't going to be able to afford to keep her there. And they were really struggling with what is she staying for? Why is she still here? And um, they asked, they called me in to work with her. And I had never done anything like that before. And I was like, but Spirit was like, you go. And I was like, okay, we'll see what happens. Hope something happens. (laughs) And um, I remember meditating before, before, um, hold on a second. I remember meditating before on her, before I, and on her name, before I met with her. And I realized she's hardly embodied. She's just out vagabonding around. She's using her body as an anchor to stay here so she can stay connected with her family. But she's not in it. She spends most of her time out seeing her family, you know, and going other places and sort of like hovering in walls, and, you know. And um, so I came there and, uh, you know, she was laying there and, She's awake, but not really. And I remember being surprised that I could hear her. She wasn't speaking, but I could hear her inside. And so I started speaking what she was saying, and she woke up, got up in bed. Ah, ah. You know, someone heard her, and we had this beautiful exchange with her husband and her son, and this this beautiful exchange between the two of them. And um. And then I tried to sort of guide her towards a meditation of relaxing and sort of letting her let go of the body. And then she said, you're trying to kill me. And I was like, no, they called me here because, you know, and I tried to explain to her what was going on. And and she got really mad and she just closed her arms and shut down and she just laid back in bed and she was just gone. I not hear her anymore. And I was like, dang, well, that didn't go so well. So... You know, I left and I felt really bad about it. You know, then like a couple months later, they called me back and I came back and I was in and I couldn't hear her and I could feel her. She was like, "Mm, I know you. And I was like, damn. And I said, could you guys just step out? And they were, they were voice recording it so they could hear everything going on. But, you know, they weren't in the room. I was like, I just need to be alone with her. And I explained to her, I said, your family loves you and they just can't afford to keep you here. And they're afraid to have to move you because you're not going to get care you need and they want to know what's keeping you here and I want you to know that you can stay connected with them when you go to the other side I've had many people who have been on the other side come through during a massage session or during a session and you know I've let them use my body to feel their their loved one and I've let them communicate with me and they can do so much work 
more work from the other side. Once they move through their process, like I was telling you, once you move through your process, you can move to a place where you can help move the energy from your family. You can help make things happen that you can't do here. And you'll be able to be that way with them on the other side. You know, they want to know why you're still here. And um, she wanted certain family members to come so she could see them. And so over the time period after that, so, well, sorry, go back a little bit. So she opened up after I explained this to her, she started opening and then the family came back in and we had another experience where I could hear her and we had this exchange. And then over the next few months, some of those family members that she wanted to see came through. And then maybe a couple months later, her husband, her son called me and said, she passed. She's, she's gone. And then what was really interesting is like maybe three months after that, she started coming to me again. And I'm like, dude, what's up? You know? And so I kept thinking, I need to find time to sit and meditate and hear what she has to say and get centered. And I couldn't find that time. And so I was like, okay, I'm just going to call your son. And so I called like, your mom's here. Just got something to say to you. And, and uh, she, she said that he was the one who would be open to communicating this way with her and that she was getting ready to move to a new level of consciousness or a new place. And that she needed to make sure that he still had the link with her so they could still communicate. And that he was the one in the family that would be open to it, that he needed to start learning how to do uh, what I'm doing. And then that's where he asked me if I did classes. And at that point, I didn't. So that's where the whole workshop came through. Um, and at that point, he actually started working with other people and, and learned the skills in other ways. But that was a pretty miraculous experience, you know. And there's been many others where on this, the table, you know, loved ones have come and, and have, you know, wanted this person to know. I mean, one that I often share, so it's it's poignant in my, fa- my, my mind, is um, it was this woman who was the wife of my Yellow Pages rep. He had bought her a gift certificate as sort of a kindness because I'd advertised with him. And she came and I remember, you know, in my conscious, you know, ego mind was like, oh, this is going to be a piece of cake. She's going to be butter the bread massage. No, don't have to go deep with her at all. You know, it's like sorority girl kind of thing. It's going to be easy, you know. Um, And then on the table, this voice kept saying, ask her about Jason. And like, I'm not gonna at this point I was still arguing with it all, you know, and I was like, I'm not gonna ask her that. I was just gonna think I'm crazy. I'm just gonna give her a massage. And I was like, Do you know someone named Jason? And turns out that this amazing woman had had uh, a brother that was her age almost, that she was really, really close to, and he had passed away. And um that was when she was younger and then she now she she had moved and gotten married and her husband hadn't known her brother so there was this disconnect in her life where she didn't no longer had this real connection with her brother anymore she kind of developed this life outside of him but that jason was the cousin of her husband that reminded her always of her brother and that this energy this her brother was coming through me wanted to use that as an in for her to know it was him and we ended up having this amazing experience you know and this healing for her and this ability for her to now bring her brother into her life now so she can start communicating with him um, another recent time i had a woman calling and she was a skeptic she didn't she didn't believe in any of this stuff and she'd lost her sister and uh a, a client of mine was a friend of hers and said, you need to call Chana. She's going to help you with this. And um, it's always really hard when people call and they're like, well, I want proof. It's undeniable. Cause that's a lot of pressure. And that was a lot of pressure on me. And that moves me into my forehead. Oh my God. I don't know. You know? And um, she was one of those people. And I was like, Oh, I said, well, I can try to find proof for you, but I don't know what's going to happen, but I can just tell you what's coming up. And so I had a session with her and I was telling her, and I was like, and why do I keep seeing Cardinals? Like there's just these red birds and they keep telling me, look out your window and you're going to see some cardinals or something. And turns out that the cardinal was a symbol that her sister used that was really important to her. And that her sister had said something like, you know, when you see cardinals, think of me or something like that. So that was the confirmation she needed. So really great. Glad that happened (laughs) to give her, to help her believe. And now she's a big, you know, big client comes a lot. All right. Well, I need to switch gears here with you. What Mm -hmm. is your website? If people want to learn more about what you do. Uh, very simple, www.chanaristic.com. All right. So you you have your practice. It sounds like you have classes as well. Do you have mm-hmm. anything else going on that you want us to know about? Um, well, the workshops are coming up. I do. I have 
in the workshops I have, um, it's a series of three workshops. One is your unique vibration. So we go in exploring your vibration, how to know you separate from others, and then and, and really just knowing yourself. And then the second one is your vibration and others. And that's working your vibration with other people. And then the third is your vibration and the non-physical. And that's working with your vibration with other information. And um, so I, I've moved to doing those on Zoom. I find that works really well. Uh, it's one Saturday a month starting in January um, every other week. So for four Saturdays. Well, it's three Saturdays and then the fourth one will be kind of an optional uh, question and answer sort of situation. Um and that'll be January and February for the first one, your vibration or your unique vibration. And then February and March or March and April for your vibration and others. And then uh, in May and June for your vibration and the non-physical. So that'll be happening. Um, and then, you know, I'm just doing some speaking engagements and doing distance sessions with people, helping people with their loved ones that have passed and also with blockages in their life. I work a lot with people who, I tend to work a lot with people in transition. People who are at places where they're like, I just don't know what to do now. And and we just find what's means to move. You know, I, I work a lot with that. Um, and then, you know, in-person stuff as well. Mostly what I'm doing. All right, well, before we finish up, can you give us one last positive message? Yeah, it's all about love. And, you know, you can do this. You know, it seems like that it's hard to believe that or that it seems so lofty, but just allow yourself to receive that more. It's really about receiving. I think that if we all could just open up to receiving a little bit more rather than feeling like we need to do all the time, but move more into being and receiving each other and yourself, things will get much easier. Thank you for that message. And Shauna, thanks again for being my guest. I really appreciate you and I wish you massive success in whatever you're doing. Thanks. Thanks. All right. Have a great day over there. Bye-bye.